as you, you know, if you were here last week or watched online, uh, we started a, a new series um, called Be Still, and, and we spoke from, <clears throat> we're going to be in the Psalms here, and, and just this idea of, of being still. And last week, if you recall, uh, we, that the scripture or the main focus was to be still and know that I am God. And oftentimes, that scripture, you know, we approached it, or you probably heard it, where it's just kind of like this quiet sort of be still, but it was more of a, a command, like it, it was like the way Jesus was in the boat with the storm, and just this, this very assertive, be still. And I think sometimes in our life, when things are just going crazy and on fire, so to speak, around us, we need somebody to sort of, you know, kind of grab hold of us, and that's really what God's saying, is just be still, calm down, and know that I'm God. Because really, when we start to panic, what is that saying? It's, it's really conveying that, you know, we're not fully trusting God. Have you ever, anybody ever flown on an airplane here? If you can remember a, a while ago anyway. And if you've flown on an airplane and when you start hitting turbulence, you know, is your first instinct to jump out of the seat and run up to the cockpit and say, get out of the way, Mr. Pilot, I'm going to take control? No, it's just like, well, that guy knows what he's doing. I'd rather have him at the helm than me to, that doesn't know to take control of it, right? And so we trust the pilot. We trust him and his skill to, to get us through. And so it's, it's also that way with God. And so that idea last week was sort of this, this be still and know that I am God. And this week we're going to be looking at another psalm. And it's Psalm 62. And it's going to be, there's a, there's a, a phrase in this psalm as we, we go through today. And it's, it's called, it's, it says to, that we're to wait in silence. To wait in silence. And we're going to unpack that a bit. But there's, there's different kinds of waiting, isn't there? Some, some of it's good, some of it's bad. And, and to wait in silence, you know, can kind of, if we approach it a certain way, we can kind of just see just sitting back and, and doing nothing. Or, but there's other types of waiting. How many here has ever been to a dentist office? Anybody recently? How many people love going to the dentist office? It's just your favorite thing. Yep, there's always a couple in the crowd, and we're going to pray for you because you're, you probably need some help in some, some regard. Um, most people do not like going to the dentist. It's just simply, I mean, if you're just getting a cleaning, it's one thing, but if you got to go to the dentist, you know, the, you know that drilling sound, you all just get, some of you get a chill, right? That drill, and that feeling, you know, and you got your mouth pulled open. And I remember when I was uh, probably around 11 or 12, I had to get a tooth that didn't come out pulled. And this guy is just wrenching on this tooth, right? And in the, I guess in the x-ray, he didn't, didn't see that it was actually hooked onto my tooth that was coming in. And nothing felt better than, than when my tooth snapped, like in half, and to feel that kind of like, you know, that, that feeling in your mouth that's just not natural. And it's, it was horrible. And, and ever since then, I mean, I go to the dentist, but it's not really my favorite thing to do. It's like, go to the beach, go to the dentist, you know, I'll go to the beach any day, right? But have you ever gone into a dentist office and when you're there and you're in the waiting room, is it, is it kind of a happy place? I look around and typically it's not really the most pleasant. Sorry, parents, by the way, if I'm ruining your chances with your children getting into the dentist. Well, most of them are gone. But when you go in there, it's almost like a funeral, isn't it? It's like this real somber kind of feeling. Everybody's just sort of sitting there quiet, maybe reading a magazine, maybe praying through a prayer, something, you know, it's, but they're sitting there because they know that they're waiting and what, what's going to come. And so there's, there's this kind of this real somber sort of feeling. Now, let me transition that to, has anybody been to a surprise birthday party where, you know, the person shows up and, and you guys, everybody's like hiding and trying to be quiet, right? 
And when they, you know, you're waiting, waiting, then the door opens up and it's the wrong person. Have you ever had that happen? That's happened, yeah, a few times. It's just part of the deal. But, but yeah, when the person walks in, though, you just, all oh, the lights come on, everybody jumps out, and you yell, surprise. Now, I want you to contrast those two types of waiting, right? One is, is waiting kind of almost with a dread, isn't it? The other, though, is waiting with an anticipation of something that's going to happen. And so as we get into this psalm today, I really want you to think of that, that second waiting, that, that, that surprise party, that, that, that we're waiting, but we're waiting with an anticipation of something good that's going to happen. And so in Psalm 62, uh, if you turn in your Bibles, if you have them or your phones, I'm going to go ahead and just, we're going to read through the, this, the entire psalm here, and then we'll, we'll get into a little deeper here. So Psalm 62, beginning in verse 1, it says this, For God alone my soul waits in silence. From him comes my salvation. He only is my rock and my salvation. My fortress, I shall be greatly shaken. I shall not be greatly shaken. How long will all of you attack a man to batter him? Like a leaning wall, a tottering fence. They only plan to thrust him down from his high position. They take pleasure in falsehood. They bless with their mouths, but inwardly they curse. Selah. For God alone, O my soul, wait in silence, for my hope is from him. He only is my rock and my salvation, my fortress. I shall not be shaken. O on God rests my salvation and my glory, my mighty rock, my refuge is God. Trust in him at all times, O people. Pour out your heart before him. God is a refuge for us. Selah. Those of low estate are but a breath. Those of high estate are a delusion. In the balances they go up. They are together lighter than a breath. Put no trust in extortion. Set no vain hopes on robbery. If riches increase, set not your heart on them. Once God has spoken, twice have I heard this, that power belongs to God, and that to you, O Lord, belongs steadfast love. For you will render to a man according to his work. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we again thank you. We thank you for today. We thank you for, God, just your word. God, we pray that it will, again, minister to us today. God, we thank you that your word is alive and, and it, it changes us, Lord God. It does great things in us. And so, God, we just uh, tune into you now for these next few moments, Lord, as we just discover what you have for us. In Jesus' name, amen. So this is uh, another psalm. And again, this psalm is actually uh, one of the ones uh, from David. And if you, in your Bibles or maybe in the little text right at the start of it, uh, it mentions somebody named Jedathun. And this is one of the choir directors that was appointed by David to lead worship. And so when we look at this psalm, we really have to approach it. It's, it's kind of difficult. Uh, if you look at the context and what's happening in David's life, there are a number of people that are literally trying to kill him. Now, that's not a, a great position to be in, um, but the reality is, is that most of us in life probably haven't had somebody that's literally trying to kill us. Maybe a few of you, I don't know, but most of us can probably say nobody's ever been out to actually kill us. And so David here is being chased by men, is, is, there's plotting against him. Uh, one of the, the greatest offenders of all is actually his son, Absalom. And 
what a, what a horrific thing to have your own child literally trying to kill you because, again, there was this, there was this want and desire for power and to take his, his throne. And so David is literally running and fearing for his life. And so as we work through this psalm, the big idea today and that I want us to really uh, dial in on is this, is that in, in life's most threatening times, you must fight for peace by making God alone your salvation and your refuge. And sometimes it is a fight, isn't it? When the world comes crashing in, when we're facing these difficult circumstances and, and all these things really start to, to well up around us and we see people around us panicking, it can really cause us to jump into that. Now this psalm today, like last week's, is divided into three stanzas. And the first two end with that word, Selah, and if you recall, that's, that's like a pause uh, or a moment to reflect. And so we need to, again, make sure we, we pause there and, and remember what that is. And so this, this week, today, we'll approach these, this passage in, in three parts. The first part, uh, Psalm 62, verses 1 through 4, really is, is, is showing us that we will face times of attack in our lives. It's, it's pretty much a guarantee, isn't it? You don't have to live very long before somebody is, is attacking you. And so uh, one, verses 1 through 4, it says, For God alone my soul waits in silence. And this is such a powerful statement. It doesn't say, you know, for God is as one of my options, but it, it says for God alone. Only God is the one who my soul is waiting for. And I don't know that I can always say that. I think sometimes, you know, I know from my own, in my own life, I can get distracted and, and be looking for other things to, to answer my plea instead of just God alone. Because notice as it goes on, it says, from him comes my salvation. And verse two, he alone, again, for God alone and he alone, he alone is my rock and my salvation, my fortress. I shall not be greatly shaken. Now, again, I hope you will never in your life experience somebody who is literally trying to kill you. But we all, in some regard, we can, we can identify that their attacks will come in this life, especially if you ever end up in any kind of leadership position. It seems to be a place that just attacks happen. Uh, it can happen from people close to you. It can happen from strangers. It, they, it just will happen. But the interesting thing is that the Bible never promises us an exemption from these attacks. Rather, it shows us what we should do when these attacks come, doesn't it? I remember uh, in Kuwait, when we first got there before we planted a church, we were part of a large, a large church, and I, I was serving um, kind of what would be similar to like our elder board. I was serving in a leadership position on what was called the council, and some things happened, and, and things really went up uh, and got really bad. They got really bad. Uh, I wanted probably one of the worst, if not, I'll say the worst meeting I've ever been in, not just in the church, but in anywhere. Um, there was booing and hissing as the pastor was trying to speak. And there was a couple hundred people. Um, some, some men were trying to actually get to the pastor to cause physical harm. And uh, he even went, it went, even went so far as uh, he, he received death threat notes under his door. I was on the leadership and I was um, uh, one of, I had a, a stance, if you will, along, I, I supported the pastor and, and the pastors of that time. And I actually received threatening emails to not just myself, but my family, my wife and my children. 
And it's, it's very sobering when you receive, and I don't know, again, I don't know if you've ever received something like that, but this is in a foreign country and, and things were pretty serious and, and things could get, and there were actually people who were pretty powerful in the church that could cause a lot of problems. And so it becomes very sobering very quickly and you, be, you, you very quickly find your end of your strength and your ability and you start to kind of, you know, you look around like, who do you know and who can protect you or this or that? And basically at the end of the day, you come to a place where all I could do was put my hope and my trust in God alone. And I would, you know, pray through Psalms and I would pray through, have like really just intense times of prayer where God, you are my salvation. You are my source and you are my strength and I trust that you will see me through. And so there were times, and this was all happening with many other things happening in our lives as well, one of which my two older sons were, were not able to get back into the country. And so we were dealing with that. And that's usually how it comes, right? It's never just one attack, is it? Anybody ever felt like that before when just it seems like, oh, the whole bottom? Yeah, the whole bottom falls out. Some of you might even be feeling that today. You might be feeling just like, what in the world is going, like everything is falling apart, And so we're reminded here in this scripture that our soul should wait in silence. That our soul should wait, not in a a mournful status, but in, in a wait that's anticipating God's salvation. So what does this this silence mean? You know, let's go a little deeper here. I, I like what John Calvin wrote. He said, the silence intended is in short that composed submission of the believer in the exercise of which he acquiesces in the promises of God, gives place to his word and bows to his sovereignty and suppresses every inward murmur of dissatisfaction. You see, there comes a place where, you know, you've heard that phrase probably let go and let God. There comes a point where you literally just have to be God I can't do this on my own anymore. God, I cannot do this anymore. And I submit to your will for my life. I submit to your plan for my life. And even though I don't understand it, even though I don't see the end, I trust that you are still God and that you will be present and see me through. We see this, don't we, in, in, the, in the Bible with Job, right? If you've, ever, if you've ever read Job, you see just, you talk about a man that goes through some stuff, right? Job, when it talks about him, when God inexplicably took Job's possessions, his 10 children, his health, he humbly proclaims this phrase that we know probably in here oftentimes, the Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. But notice what he ends with, blessed be the name of the Lord. Job could have easily gotten focused on God, why, what are you doing? And, and bringing all this question, you know, and, 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 and frustration and saying, God, you are not, doing what you're supposed to do, but instead he says, nonetheless, blessed be the name of the Lord. And it's really about us humbling ourselves, isn't it? Humbling ourselves under the mighty hand of God. And this is the key point to experience God's peace when we're under attack. Anybody ever been on a river or been tubing or canoeing and you try to go upstream and there's times in life where we have to go upstream, so to speak, isn't there? But there's other times when we just need to say, you know what? God, I trust you. Take me to where you want me to be. First Peter 5, 6, and 7 
says, humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Now, I, when we go through difficult times, and I've said this to many people, I'm going to say it again. You'll probably hear me say it oftentimes because we need to be reminded. But it's this, is that during these difficult times, it is not okay to question God, but it is okay to bring our questions to God. Do you see the difference? Who are we, creation, <laughs> to question the creator and his plan? But there are times in life, as any father and a child, if a child, your child comes to you and has questions, you can understand and you can show that love. And God wants you to bring your questions to him, but he doesn't have to answer to us. Do you understand? We just bring our frustrations. We bring it all and lay it down at his feet and say, I don't understand. But God, at the end of the day, I trust you. I know that you are good. I know that you love me. And so I, I choose to put my hope and faith in you. Going on in verse three, how long will all of you attack a man to batter him like a leaning wall, a tottering fence? They only plan to thrust him down from his high position. They take pleasure in falsehood. They bless with their mouths, but inwardly they curse. You see, evil is drawn to weakness, isn't it? Any of you guys remember school? And you get the, it's, it's always that, that person, that child that's kind of off in the corner or maybe doesn't look like everybody else. And it doesn't take long for that bully to identify that, that child and just really dial in, right? That's, that's what evil does. But evil is also attracted to strength because if, if you're successful and maybe you've experienced this in the workplace or in life, what is it like when you have success and things are going well, how many have those people around you that are just jealous, Maybe it's in your workplace and maybe they talk behind your back because they want, they want what you have. And so they'll do anything. And that's evil. And that's what evil does. It's, it's attracted to weakness, but also to strength. And it's a total contrast to what goodness is, isn't it? With Christ, you see, when we're weak, he came alongside us. And we could not do it on, our, on ourselves or save ourselves. He was there to offer. God was there to offer his salvation. And so we need God. And with God, we see the goodness that comes. And we're supposed to reflect that to others. That's why we as a church, we look for the hurting, don't we? We look for those who are suffering. We're not looking for those who are on the mountaintop and think they're great. No, we look for those that are hurting because what? They need somebody to come alongside of them to build them up and to journey with them. The second part after this refrain, this first refrain, comes down to we must reaffirm to ourselves from where our salvation comes and where our refuge is. And again, so you see this from verse 1, you see this echo now in verse 5, but there's some slight differences, and we're going to look at those. Verse 5, much like verse 1, it, it reads, For God alone, O my soul, wait in silence, for my hope is from him. He only is my rock and my salvation and my fortress. I shall not be shaken. Oh, on God rests my salvation and my glory, my mighty rock, my refuge is God. Trust in him at all times, O oh people. Pour out your heart before him. God is a refuge for us. Now, what, what is interesting here is we see a transition and a shift in verse 1, David started writing, For God alone my soul waits in silence. 
But now we see for God alone, oh my soul, wait in silence. And you see what happened is now David is really speaking to himself, isn't he? He's speaking to his own soul. He's reminding himself, my soul, wait in silence. He's, he's reminding himself. He's reminding himself of who God is, that God is his hope, that he is his rock and salvation and fortress. And so through this encouragement, what's interesting is, is the end of that statement in that, or that phrase. In verse one, he said, I shall not be greatly shaken. But notice in verse six, he says, I shall not be shaken. You see the difference? Greatly shaken to just, I will not be shaken at all. And if you've followed Christ for any length of time, I'm sure when you come into those tests and those trials in life, that's why we, we hear and we, we, we know we must go to the word of God. We must let God build our spirit up to be reminded of how great he is. This is why we turn to the word because we know that once we have that and once we're reminded of how big God is, we see very quickly how small our problem is, don't we? It's a change of perspective where we're now focusing on God and his greatness versus our problem and how small it really is compared to God. When trials come our way, the only way to experience peace is not just by knowing about God, it's about knowing him personally and experientially. You know, there's people in this world that could probably quote the Bible, that probably they can quote the Bible nearly cover to cover, but do not have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Knowing the word here does not, nothing compared to knowing your, the word here, meaning that you have a relationship with Jesus Christ, that you have relationship with God and that you've experienced his goodness, his kindness, and his mercy in a personal way. So the short version of what I'm saying today is that it's okay to talk to yourself when you go through these times of trial. I'm sure that's a, a gift for many of you. I know it is for me. It's okay. We need to talk to ourselves sometimes. We need to remind ourselves, again, who God is. Martin Lloyd-Jones, he says this. He says, and then you must go on to remind yourself of God, who God is and what God is and what God has done and what God has pledged himself to do. Then, having done that, end on this great note. Defy yourself, defy other people and defy the devil and the whole world and say with this man, I shall yet praise him for the help of his countenance, who is also the health of my countenance and my God. See, again, so many times we look at the world around us, we listen to those voices around us that are not of God and we are, we are torn down, but we need to be reminded of who God is. Verse eight says, pour out your heart. And again, we need to do that. We pour out ourselves by emptying our worries, confusion, and pain onto the Lord. And in this passage, we have this one sense he's saying, pour out your heart, and, and, and then another part he's saying, waiting in silence. But that's, that's what we do, right? We pour out our heart. We're told to do that. We put everything out there, but then that's when we be still. That's when we stop and we let God do what he does. It is through this process in prayer that we move from a pouring out to a waiting in silence. 
and we can wait in silence because we trust in the sovereign love of our God. And then the third stanza here in Psalms, in verse 9, David writes, he says, Those of low estate are but a breath. Those of high estate are a delusion. In the balances they go up, they are together lighter than a breath. Put no trust in extortion. Set no vain hopes on robbery. If riches increase, set not your heart on them. And then listen to this, verse 11. Once God has spoken, twice I have heard this, and, and that's also kind of, it's translated these two things, and these are the two things. Listen, that power belongs to God, and that to you, O Lord, belongs steadfast love. Power belongs to God, and to, to you, O Lord, belongs steadfast love. Isn't that a God that you want to serve? Isn't that a God that you can trust because he doesn't just, he is not just love and he does not just care for us. He is also a God of power that can do something, amen? He is a God of power. That's one of the things I can't stand when, when Jesus is depicted in movies and things as, as this timid, you know, person that's just like, oh, oh, look at the pretty tree. Look at this. Jesus, he grew up as a, car a carpenter's son. He was a carpenter. You understand that, right? Somebody who worked with his hands. And I promise you, when he was speaking to Pharisees and when he was challenging the religious leaders of that time, that he did so with a, with a power, that they knew that they were standing before God. You understand? When they came to arrest him, what happened? It says they flew back and fell on the ground. We do not serve a weak God. We do not serve a God that we wonder if he can overcome what we're facing. We serve a God who is all-powerful and, and, and is ruler over all, one who holds in his palm the universe and all of creation he made out of, out of his breath, out of his words. So then whom shall we fear? This God loves us. He loves you he sent his son, God the Father, sent Jesus to die on a cross for you as an expression of, of love. God not just expresses love, but God is love. But God is a God of power. And you can, you can bank on that, that God is in your corner. And that's the God that's in our corner. And that's the God I want to serve. How about you? In conclusion... First, we see that we can trust Jesus as our only hope. Through any of the trials we face in this life, and, and that was what I loved about this, this year's VBS, is they always had this, this response. Whenever that, that phrase was said, they would say, trust Jesus. And I think we need to remember that. And some of you here today, whether you're online or whether you're here in person, you need to be reminded that you need to just trust Jesus. If you've done all that you can do and there seems no way through what you're facing and it's just not letting up, at the end of the day, you just need to put your trust in Jesus. Secondly, in this passage, we really see a foreshadowing here of our eternal salvation, don't we? We see a foreshadowing of our eternal salvation if God the Father loved us enough to send his Son to save us, we can be confident 
that we can find our refuge in him. And I, I love this, this, this picture that God, we can run to him as our refuge, as our protection, but it's not just a defensive position. Do you understand the difference? There's a defensive and an offensive. God is also powerful enough to change the situation that you're in, to change and address and come against whatever it is you're facing. Again, he's all powerful, but we also can find our protection it's much like a small child running to their parent, you know, because they're scared of something and the parent takes them and puts them behind and you have to come through me as a parent. If anybody picks on my kids or messes with my kids, they get behind me. So you're going to come through me and I promise you, you're not going to get through me if I'm protecting my child. And that's the same image we need to have of God today is that God is there with you. And yes, maybe it's loud around you. Maybe you hear the storm. Maybe you see the storm. And maybe you're even feeling it a little bit. But you can trust that God will protect you, that God will sustain you, and that God will see you through. Romans 8, 31 and 32. It says, what then shall we say of these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How will he not also with him graciously give us all things? We're going to wrap up here in a moment. And, uh, you know, I look around and we're sitting out here. It's outside in almost a surreal setting. And we've got things to do and pressures, you know, that are, are mounting for what's going on the rest of the day. But in this moment right now, I just want you to know that God loves you and whatever it is you're facing, that he will see you through. As a pastor, I, I, see, I see and know so much about so many sitting out here and I know you're struggling and I know you're hurting and I know you have questions and I know you're wondering what the answer is gonna be. 2020 has been a very hard year and frankly, I... I I see it as probably continuing to be a difficult year through the rest of the year. And I would encourage you today, I don't say that to scare you or to make you panic. I say that to, to, to challenge you to now get plugged in, establish your foundation and who it's in. Get in the word, be reminded of how great God is and how good God is. Because it sounds great, but it's a whole different story, right? When you're living it and you're walking it out. And I know a lot of you today are walking it out. And I just want to encourage you that we are here. We are with you. We are praying for you. The elders are praying for you. The staff is praying for you. And we will walk this out together, amen? I want you to know today that you're not alone. You're not alone. We're with you. And God is with you. Would you bow your heads? Heavenly Father, I just thank you for today. I thank you for this opportunity, Lord, just for your word to minister to us. God, I pray for each and every person here today. God, we don't have to look far to see people who are hurting, who are struggling, who are wondering about the future and how it's going to work out. But God, I pray right now in this moment, just for these next few minutes, God, that by your spirit, you show us all in a very real and clear way that you are present with us, that we are not forgotten. And God, that you are truly our refuge. You are our strength. And God, we can trust you. 
God, forgive us where we've not surrendered our pride, where we've wanted to take control and try to do it on our own strength. Forgive us, Lord, for not trusting in you. God, for those of us here who have made a profession and have a relationship with you, with through Christ Jesus, God, I just pray that we're reminded. That we're reminded of the cross and, and Jesus, the price that was paid for us and the expression of love, of what love is. And God, in this moment, I lift up anybody here or anyone watching online who doesn't know you as, as their Lord and Savior, who has not made that decision to enter into relationship with you, God, that they would make that today. God, that they wouldn't wait until their world is on fire around them, but God, that today they would make that choice. God, that they would respond to the calling of your spirit that's happening right now. God, that they would confess their sin and God, profess you as Lord, that you died on the cross and that you rose again on the third day. And Again, it's, it's easy, Lord, to say yes to a Savior, but you also are our Lord. And so, God, I pray that we can truly surrender to you and be obedient to you. Thank you, Lord, for today and for this time and what you've shared through your word today. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.